if the process that we are told is just a numbers game and it's essentially like basically playing roulette at the casino is what it felt like. So that was weird, but I, I still gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down. I'm going to apply to 200 companies over this next month and I'm going to see what happens. So that's exactly what I did. And twice as many hours, same results, no interviews, no offers, no nothing. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. And I bet you're exposed to investment risk right now. To reduce it, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and download the risk reduction checklist I've made specifically for you, my podcast listeners. And this checklist is based on the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Austin Belsack. Austin, are you ready to rock? Andrew, let's do it. Thanks for having me. Yes. And I'm so excited because I never wear a black shirt. And today I wore a black shirt and you're wearing a black shirt. And that tells me it's going to be a good interview. <laughs> we, are, we are on the same wavelength for sure. Exactly. All right. So let me introduce you to the audience. Austin Belsack is the founder of cultivatedculture.com, where he helps people land jobs they love without traditional experience and without applying online. Austin's job search system stems from his personal experience transitioning from a new grad with a biology degree, a 2.58 GPA and a job in healthcare to landing interviews and offers at Microsoft, Google, and Twitter. His strategies have been featured in Forbes, Business Insider, Fast Company, and Inc. And he has helped thousands of job seekers land jobs at places like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and many, many more, all without applying online. He also hosts the Dream Job System podcast where he shares bite-sized, highly actionable career advice. Each episode is between five and 15 minutes and is released three times per week. Austin, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. That's pretty much it, Andrew. So, I mean, you know, we're going to get to the worst investment, right? But uh, shocker, it's going to be job search focused because that is essentially where my my career got its start and, and the trajectory that it's been on. But yeah, so, you know, back when I was in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do and I really struggled with the search. And so I had to develop my own system that eventually led me to Microsoft where I worked for five years as a director of partner development. And I also started Cultivated Culture about six months into that job. So CC has been around for about five years. I built it alongside of my full-time job. And then I recently left in October to take it full-time and it's been a lot of fun to do that. So now we get to spend more time hanging out with people like you and helping people get jobs. But a lot of it is rooted from my personal experience, which definitely stemmed from the worst investment that I ever made for sure. Well, I'm excited to get into that. And before we do, I think, you know, it'd be interesting for the listeners to learn about how you manage this life of kind of having a full-time job and a side hustle. I mean, it's the dream of everybody. Yeah. How did you do it? Absolutely. I think that it was, it's, it had always been my dream to start my own thing. That was my goal from an early age. And I knew, I knew that I had no idea how to make it happen. 
And I think a lot of young people tend to suffer from this sort of mental, this mental image of what a business must be, right? We all want to create the next Facebook or the next, you know, insert giant company here when entrepreneurship is so broad, right? People are out here making money and, you know, making a living doing so many different things. And that's not something I realized until later on. So I had a lot of failed ventures. I started about four or five different projects that all kind of went went down the toilet at one point or another. And none of those were, were still my worst investments, I would say. Mm. But I essentially decided to start a side hustle that was sustainable or, or that became sustainable when I needed to transition industries, right? So I was working in healthcare and I wanted to get into tech and I had no experience in the tech space. So I had to go build my own experience. And I did a lot of that through freelancing. So that's essentially where the side hustle was introduced for me. And I never, I never didn't have a side hustle after that. I essentially was always working two jobs basically until I left Microsoft in October. And I think there were so many benefits that I didn't see in the moment. And looking back, you know, they're, they're all so very clear, but side hustles are wonderful because you get to scratch an itch that you may not have in your nine to five, right? You get to expand your skill set. You can make more money, but also you have the ability to play the long game and build a business without the risk of, you know, taking a big financial hit or wondering, you know, where the next paycheck is coming from. Cause you still have that full-time salary. Right. Mm. So for all those reasons, you know, I'm so grateful that I, I ended up going down that path and in that direction. And I also learned so much working full-time at Microsoft that, that impacted the, the side hustle that I started that eventually became the business it is today. Well, I have another question about that. But before I do, I just explain, you know, my own situation in Thailand. I came from a Cal, I was, I graduated from Cal State Long Beach, and then I went to work for Pepsi in Los Angeles. And I did my MBA at night. So I was busy my first couple of years. But once I got that done, you know, my workday was just like, you know, typical workday. And then I went home. And when I moved to Thailand, I was like, my God, there's so much going on. It was like 1992. The economy was booming. Businesses were booming. The stock market was booming. And it was like, there's just so much opportunity. So by the time I was, you know, a few years into it, I already had built a successful career as a financial analyst, as a head of research at a broker. But also I had a side hustle in the sense that my best friend and I set up a coffee roasting company that's now 25 years old. So at nighttime, all that, we'd, we'd meet and I'd take care of accounting and stuff like that. He'd run the business while I was working as an investment banker. And then I was teaching finance almost every weekend or many evenings. So I literally had went from no side hustle in the U.S. to two side hustles in, in Thailand. And I just, you know, that's the first thing that I, I really kind of realized was that it's easy, particularly in America, it was easy for me to just kind of rest on my laurels. And here in Thailand and maybe in Asia, there's just so much opportunity that, you know, I just don't want to miss it. But my question to you is, how do you know when you're ready to quit your job? I mean, obviously, everybody who starts a side hustle, their dream is to quit their job. But how many people have we heard that have said, I got my side hustle. I've been doing it for a couple of months. I'm putting in my resignation at my job <laughs> tomorrow. And you're thinking, no. So how did you know when to quit your job? Yeah, for me, you know, I, I'd heard all the stories of, of those same folks, right? And I think one of the biggest things I realized through building cultivated culture was that creating an actual business and putting the foundational, you know, elements in place that you need 
it requires so much more time and energy and inertia than I think we initially expect, right? I think that mindset that you just called out of the people who say, well, you know, I've been doing this for a couple months or I haven't started, but I, I think six months from now I can quit. I think that that is, you know, people reading the headlines and reading the case studies. And, you know, one of the, we were talking in the pre-show, one of the things I love about your show is that we focus on the mistakes, right. And, and the failures and the, and the potential shortcomings instead of, you know, so many podcasts out there bring somebody on and they're like, you know, how, how'd you make this happen? And people are, you know, I could tell you that, you know, we grew our following 600,000 people on LinkedIn in the last, you know, year. But what I'm not telling you is that I, I spent four to four and a half years writing content every day that nobody ever read before we got there. Right. And so I think there's, there's this period, right. Where you get started and you're putting in the work and nothing's really happening. And so you just have to have faith that you're playing a longer game. What you're doing is going to work. And so, but that's how you start a successful business. The people who show up and every decision is about the next dollar. That's where a lot of the failures stem from because you can't play a long game. And there's, to your point, Andrew, there's so much opportunity. A lot of people have jumped into that, that space, right? The internet makes it so easy for anybody to do anything and get started for effectively free if they wanted to, that you need to find a way to differentiate yourself and you need to play a longer game if you want to succeed. So for me, you know, my goal was to have some foundational systems in place. I wasn't as focused on revenue and I was more focused on, do I have the foundational elements in place that I need to scale very quickly? And those are things like an audience. Those are things like funnels. Those are having the right stack and, and technology set up and making sure that, you know, if I decided to offer a product or a service, everything was in place to make that happen. And a lot of the business could continue to run itself while, while I reallocated time to, you know, the financial aspect of the business. So, you know, not to say that, that there wasn't, you know, some financial involvement, but at the same time, I really was focused on, hey, I'm going to try to, I have this great opportunity and set up at Microsoft. My team was amazing. My job was amazing. I absolutely loved it. There was no need for me to rush out of there. I felt it could only benefit me to stay longer and reinvest, you know, some of my salary into the, into the business and to really put those foundational elements in place. So that's what I was mostly focused on. And then once it got to the point where I just, you know, from a time perspective could not manage both, that's really where, where the decision was made. Mm. I mean, that's something that really resonates with me and I, it's not my worst investment, but it definitely is close in the sense that I had a lot of ideas when I started my, my research company, basically when I left investment banking and went out on my own. But what I didn't really have was the selling process. And, you know, what you've described is the, the following is one part of the selling process, the funnel offers great things, some free stuff, some, you know, some minimally paid stuff, then some more expensive stuff for those people that really like it and they need more. I didn't have those things. And I'm, I'm a big guy on, on kind of writing down what we want. And I have a, a system that I teach in a course I have called Achieve Your Goals, and it's called Building Belief. And it's just building a mantra. And you just try to hone in on what's the problem that you have, and then where do you want to be? And I can remember walking at the park two years ago saying, all my products have an easy to follow buying system. All my products have an easy to follow <laughs> buying system because they didn't. As I said at that time, you know, you'd have to work. My customers had to work really hard to buy from me. 
<laughs> and so now I've got yeah. those things in place and, you know, they're, they're just getting it all that, that whole process. So I really uh, respect the fact that you saw that and you built that, you know, before you jumped, I jumped and then later I had to build it. <laughs> <laughs> I lucked out, you know, I was very fortunate. A lot of people are, are not in a situation where, you know, they can, they can hang around for, you know, some additional time, either they, they have a bad manager, they have a toxic, you know, work environment, they don't like their job, they're not getting paid enough. I was very fortunate to be in, you know, what I considered to be my dream job. And so I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty privileged to have been able to start a company in, in that situation. So I don't blame anybody else for, for jumping a little earlier than I did. But if you are in, in a good setup, you know, there's no, no reason to not wait and, and, and reinvest. Yeah. And to, to close out this section, you know, for the listeners out there, I really want you to think about the idea that if you are starting a side hustle, you are starting a business, really, I challenge you to sell your product. Mm -hmm. Just start selling the product because the selling process will force you to develop these systems to a certain extent. Now, you don't want to expand your business so fast that your internal systems can't keep up with your sales. But that's probably not going to be your problem. In the beginning, start selling your product. And if you can do that, then that forces you to start to create that sales system. And that would be kind of a little bit of my takeaway. I think, you know, you set up that system. I didn't set it up that well. And it, it definitely hurt and it set me back. So that would be my takeaway from that little section. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever ever, ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, then tell us your story. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have to rewind back to, I think really we have to rewind back to, you know, when I was a kid and when we were all kids, because we're, we're asked from a very early age, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And the answer when you're younger is, is whatever you want, right? NFL quarterback, I want to be a digital nomad. I want to be the next, you know, Bill Gates and everybody, you know, there's so much support, right? Yes, you can do anything you put your mind to. That's a great answer. But then the question persists as we get older, right? And at the same time, the scope of acceptable answers really starts to narrow. So all of a sudden, you know, you wanted to be a writer and that was celebrated, but now you're being told, you know, that's not realistic. You know, you'll, you'll never get a job doing that. You're not going to make any money. And so then we're funneled into, you know, or at least we're restricted on our options, but nobody really gives us the tools needed to explore what else was out there, right? You know, for me, I didn't know I could work at Microsoft without, you know, knowing how to code. And I didn't even know the job title of partner manager or account manager existed. I thought you could be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or an investment banker, right? Like these careers that were familiar to, to us. So I chose doctor because, you know, it made my parents happy and their friends happy and my teachers happy. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted deep down, but I didn't know what I wanted. So I went to college and I, I had my, my plans to be a doctor, but then there was also this other side of college where there were, you know, several thousand other people my age with no parental supervision and, you know, beer kegs right down the road. And so very quickly that became more of my unofficial major than the initial major that I set out on, which was biology. So I failed chemistry initially. I failed French the next semester and that set the tone for college. You know, I ended up not really investing in my in my studies, I was a pretty poor student. I got out of there with two and a half, you know, 2.5 GPA, C minus equivalent. 
And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So professionally, I didn't apply to any companies. I didn't interview anywhere. I took an internship that essentially fell into my lap and they offered me a job. I didn't think about cost of living. I didn't ask about trajectory. I didn't ask any of the questions we should ask. I just accepted it sight unseen because it meant that I didn't have to do more work. So hence begins my worst investment ever. So essentially what happened was I, I jump into this job and the job itself is awful. So I'm working in medical device sales. I'm getting up at 2.30, 3.30 in the morning because I was based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had to drive to whatever hospital needed coverage that day. And sometimes they were two hours away and surgery started at 6 a.m., right? So I had to be there and I was up super early and I did that five to six days a week. So that was miserable. But on top of it, my boss just, you know, he didn't treat me very well. He kept telling me I wasn't good enough. I wasn't smart enough. I didn't have a future. And that was pretty demoralizing. And then on top of that, between my car payment, my rent, you know, car insurance, groceries, and then the salary I had accepted, I basically didn't have much to live off of. So I ended up racking up about $15,000 of credit card debt in the first couple of months out of school, just, just trying to make ends meet. So this was really a perfect storm of just like awful, awfulness. And I felt horrible. So I knew I had to get out. And this is really where the investment piece comes in. So I want to make this transition and I want to work in tech. That's kind of the goal, right? Because I'm tired of explaining what I have to do. I want to work for a cool company, right? And so this was 2013, you know, sort of the golden age of tech. You know, there, there aren't any of these issues that they, they were there, but they haven't bubbled up to the public eye around privacy and, you know, you know, how we're treating users and any of this other stuff. Not to say that those companies still aren't good to work for, but that's where I wanted to go. And I had no experience. So I went to the people we always go to for advice, right? Parents, friends, career counselors, the internet. And they all told me the same thing, which was to tweak my resume, tweak my cover letter and apply for jobs online. So this is where I invested. And I invested hours and hours and hours of my time into this every day. Essentially, I would come home from my job at around you know 2 p.m. or so, 2, 3 p.m. And then I would work for another six hours or so on the job search. And the problem was I, I wasn't getting any results. So for the first month, I had applied to about 100 companies and not a single one of them got back to me. I got rejected from all of them. And that was a, a lot of time invested. So I go back to these same people and I said, what's the deal? Like you all are the people I trust. You've all been successful in your own right. You know, why is this not working? And they came back with the same answer. They said, you know, look, it's a numbers game. You just haven't, you haven't applied to enough places yet. And so you just need to get back out there. And that was a big red flag for me. I sort of took a step back and I thought about what was going on here. And so one, these are people from all different walks of life. Like my parents, they hadn't job searched in, in over a decade, if not more. My friends all worked on Wall Street and I was you know, in healthcare trying to get into tech. Some of the career services folks I was talking to had never worked at a tech company, let alone any other job outside of career services. Yet they were all recommending the same thing. And I thought that was a little, little strange. And then on top of it, it didn't make sense to me because I didn't understand how anybody could be in control of their career if the process that we are told is just a numbers game. And it's essentially like basically playing roulette at the casino is what it felt like. So that was weird, but I, I still gave everybody the benefit of the doubt. So I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to double down. I'm going to apply to 200 companies over this next month and I'm going to see what happens. So that's exactly what I did. And twice as many hours, same results, no interviews, no offers, no nothing. So I had to come up with a different system. Before and you go into that, tell me how you felt after that. I mean, you, 
how did you, you know, what was your feeling when you started to probably doubt the advice you were getting? You probably thinking, am I doing this wrong? You know, and what's going on? How did you feel? Can you remember a particular day or a particular moment where you started to feel like something's not right here? There were so many days and so many moments. And I, I think that the toughest part about the job search is that our jobs and, and our, I think, you know, our, our careers, what we do for a living is so closely tied to all of our identities, right? You know, when we look at the data, people who lose their jobs are as emotionally and mentally affected as people who have lost a relative or a friend. And it's devastating, right? And so our jobs mean a lot to us. Like I, I love what I do. I assume you love what you do, right? And somebody who's working in a specific corporate job that they enjoy, you know, they like what they do. And so it's so important for us to, to find work that, that we enjoy doing that when you're suddenly told by all these companies, you know, no, we take it so personally, even though it's not, you know, it's mm. usually you know, that person just looked at a hundred other resumes and yours was number 76 and, you know, they, they pressed the no button, but for us, it feels really personal. Right. So I, I felt frustrated on a number of levels. One, I felt a little betrayed by, you know, my family and friends and, and the people I was getting advice from, because this clearly didn't seem to work. I also felt betrayed by the fact that I invested, you know, all this money into college and that didn't seem to be delivering on the promise of I'd always have an opportunity, right? If I had a degree and then I felt sort of betrayed or, or, you know, left out by these companies. And I didn't understand. I, I thought it was me, right? What is wrong with me? Like what, why, why am I, you know, deficient when all these other people who have jobs, you know, seem to be, seem to be okay. And so there were so many of those moments. And I think for me, you know, specifically the one that I, I remember was I, I, I did end up getting an interview, not necessarily through the applications, but through sort of a, a friend of a friend, if you will, into another medical device sales company. And they even came back and told me no. And I was like, I had to pull my car over to the side of the road on the highway. I was like crying and punching my steering wheel. And I would, could not like understand why I couldn't even get a job in the industry that I was in that I hated and so badly wanted to get out of. And so those feelings, that was a daily, that was the mm. worst, one of the worst days. But, you know, we were pretty close to that on, on a near daily basis. And so that's when I figured, you know, this isn't working. I have to do something else. Wow. All right. So how to tell us how it, how it changed. So I had coffee with a, uh, you know, I started looking at my alumni network and I was, I was looking for people who, you know, were working at the places I wanted to work at pretty, pretty loosely, not very intentional. And I found a guy who worked at Uber and I, I got a coffee with him and he essentially said, you know, Austin, look, like you were a bad student and you have a degree in biology and you work in medical device sales. And you're telling me that you want to work in tech but you're taking advice from, from all these people who have no affiliation with any part of that journey. So what you need to do is go find people who have already been down this path, who have come from a similar background and who are now working in the places that you want to work. So that was a massive light bulb moment for me. And, you know, summed up in a more eloquent sentence, he was essentially saying you should only take advice from people who already have what you want. So I went home and I wrote down a list of criteria and I said, you know, okay, my dream job is going to be, I'm, I'm going to be living in a major city like in New York or in LA or maybe a Bangkok. You know, I want to be working for a major tech company like a Google or Microsoft. I want to be making six figures a year. And I also want to be, you know, flexible with, you know, when and where I work. 
So I took all those criteria and I went to LinkedIn and I tried to find people who not only met those criteria, but who also had come from a non-traditional background. And I talked to as many of them as I possibly could. And that was a life-changing period for me because all of these people essentially blew the doors off the traditional job search process and said, look, you know, I went through the same thing you went through. It doesn't work. Here's what I did instead. And so they essentially gave me a roadmap, which was rooted in two core principles. Essentially, none of those people had applied for the job that they had online. They'd found some sort of referral or they built a relationship with somebody. And then each one of them had gone above and beyond or found a creative way to illustrate their value. And they didn't just rely on a resume or a cover letter. So that with that in hand, you know, with those learnings in hand, I basically set out to create my own system that that was rooted in those two principles. And that was the same system that led to my my interviews and offers at Google and Microsoft and, and Twitter. But, you know, had I had those conversations earlier and had I just looked at the data, you know, if we look at the data, it's so clear that online applications are such a, a low your chances of success are so low versus referrals, they make up 40 to 80% of hires. And, and that data is everywhere. But I think for me, I was just so afraid of, of building relationships and networking. Like I was an introvert, I still am, but have gotten better at doing the extrovert thing. But I just didn't, I felt so scared of talking to strangers and putting myself out there, but I had to do it, right? And so if I had just kind of swallowed that pill earlier and looked at the data and had some of these conversations, I could have avoided, you know, not only hundreds of hours of, online applications that led nowhere, but also I could have gotten into these roles earlier. And, and what we tend to see is essentially as is true with investing across the board, right? When you play the long game, you know, the earlier you can put a dollar in your 401k, the earlier you can put a dollar into, you know, an ETF or whatever it is, the more time you let it sit, you know, that compound interest is worth so much more than a dollar you invest five, 10 years later. Same is true for your base salary, right? The earlier you can get it bumped up and, you know, the more frequently you can get it bumped up, you know, you reset your baseline and those, the, the compound interest of the salary, you know, kicks into place there. And so I was lucky enough to overcome that hurdle, if you will, by, by getting a, a nice you know, salary at Microsoft. But for the most part, I think a lot of people are putting themselves in, in a position where they're behind the curve simply because they're sticking with the traditional process, even though they know that it doesn't work. Mm. Okay. So what lessons did you learn from this experience? The biggest ones are that, you know, really it, it comes down to if you're looking to, to elevate your career, it comes down to networking and, and building relationships. And the biggest lessons that I learned in there are one, you know, the big mistake that everybody makes is leading with what I call a me mindset. So reaching out and just making a direct ask, you know, can you refer me to this job? Can you review my resume? That, that's a pretty self-centered move and it doesn't tend to work. So when I took a step back and I said, you know, how can I add value to this person, right? They have so much and I don't really have anything to offer in terms of, you know, convincing them to help me. How can I get creative here? How can I add value to them so that this relationship can get started? So when I focus on the other people and when I focus on adding value to them, that's really when I was able to get in the door with a lot of these folks. And then the second big lesson around that, that sort of creative value add, what I realized was that my resume, my cover letter, I was never going to be able to compete on those things because I didn't have the traditional experience. So instead, yeah, I, I really stopped trying. I had a resume and it was fine, but I would say, okay, I'm applying to this company. Let me create a pitch deck that shows them exactly what I bring to the table. So for Google, I put together a whole pitch deck that basically, you know, I, I it was, it was a sample sales pitch deck because I was going for a sales role. So people kept 
saying to me in that process, I don't think you have enough experience. And I said, why don't you book a 30 minute meeting and I'll come in and pitch you as if you were a company that, you know, I would be pitching to if you hired me. And that made my experience so much more clear. And same at Twitter, when I was interviewing there, this was back in 2015. So they, they hadn't quite figured out the monetization piece yet. And their stock was not where it is now. And so I, I drafted up five, five ways that they could better monetize their existing audience without a massive investment on their side. And that's what I brought with me. It was just a one sheet. And I brought it to my interviews and I sent it to people ahead of time. And that helped me stand out because it was a direct you know, illustration of what I could do and the way that I thought versus having to, to constantly defend my past. And so the combination of those two things, the referrals and then finding creative ways to, to showcase my value, those are two major lessons that, that 100% contributed to, to the success that I saw. Wow. So let me, maybe I'll summarize a few things that I took away from it. I mean, I sure. want to tell a story about a guy, a friend of mine here in Bangkok, his name's Russell. And Russell had lived in Thailand. He was an American citizen and he came to Thailand a little bit after I came. I was already an analyst at a, at a broker and my boss was a head of research. And occasionally he met analysts, but he was very, very picky. So he is not going to hire somebody, you know, straight off the street or something like that. And Russell had some experience in the U.S., in investment banking, but not really as an analyst where you've got to dig and find ideas and recommend stocks to sell. So Russell, I didn't know him from any, I didn't know him at that time, but he walked into the office and I saw he went into the conference room and then my boss went in and I knew by this time I figured he, it was a job interview. And then my boss walked out, Russell walked out and I said, how did that go? And he says, I hired him. I was like, ha. I never would have expected my boss, who is a very, very even keeled kind of guy, to just hire the guy. And I said, well, why did you hire him? He says, well, he showed me his portfolio of 10 stocks. He explained exactly why he owns each one. And then he spent the money to go out and get an audited report from Ernst & Young of his performance in stock picking. And it was clear that this guy knows how to pick stocks and how to explain them. And that's the job of an analyst. So he's hired. And, you know, it's just the, I think that leads me into kind of another lesson that I learned from what you're talking about. I think that, you know, when you think about business, we have two things that we're trying to do. First, we're trying to exploit opportunities. We're trying to take our products, our services relative to our peers, find a customer need, get that thing there and get to that opportunity before our competitors get there. So that's the kind of the aggressive way of business. And then the other way is defensive. We're trying to solve problems. And, you know, some people are good at exploiting opportunities and some people are good at solving problems. So, you know, maybe you want to think about what it is that you are, but then why is this person want to hire you? They want to hire you because you're either going to help them exploit an opportunity or really do something more with it, or they're going to help you, you know, you are going to help them get out of trouble, you know, and fix a problem. So, if you can go into it and say, here's how I can help you do this, that's exactly what they want. You know, they don't want to hear this, that, and that. So I think that, you know, when I look at people and I look at hiring myself, that's what I want. Can this person take my business forward? Now, there's a couple of other things. You know, the problem about applying online is that it's the typical marketplace problem. You know, if you want to create a, a, a course, uh, online course, and you want to sell it on a marketplace like Udemy, as an example, it's going straight down to $10. And now you're in a hyper-competitive environment. Now, 
The only way you can really survive in that environment is that you really optimize for that system. And then you try to scale, you know, and get as many students from that system as possible. But the majority of people in a marketplace like that are just getting wiped out. And so what you're talking about is stepping out of the marketplace and looking for other ways to get into it. And that's the other piece that I take away is this idea of traditional advice. And I have a, another story. I was in Hong Kong and I was asked to give a speech about careers in finance and stuff. And I went through a bunch of stuff. And then at the end of it, someone came up to me and there's a group of students around me. And this lady said, this young, young girl said, I studied accounting, but I want to work in finance. But, you know, someone told me that it's, it's hard to make that transition. And I said, who told you? She said, well, I, someone, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. I was like, who? And why do you have to listen to them? If you want it, just go do it. And so that's the last part that I take away is the idea of be very careful of traditional advice. There's some value there. You don't have to completely ignore it. But traditional advice will oftentimes get you traditional results. And if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. But sometimes you've got to go outside of tradition. So those are some of the things I take away. Anything you'd add to that? No, I, I, I really, I really love what you said. And I think, you know, the, the best summary is, is just, you know, for anything that we want to do in life, it's all possible, right? You know, somebody out there has done it. And so it's really up to you to, to make it happen. But the problem is a lot of times the things that we want most require us to do things that we're scared of and things that we're uncertain about and things that we're unfamiliar with. And so the people who are willing to take action in spite of that fear are the ones who tend to, to win out. And also the folks who are really good at understanding the system and then rewriting the rules or, you know, stepping into a totally different field where, where they kind of own the whole field. Right. And so if everybody's doing one of my favorite quotes is from Twain and he said, you know, if you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's, it's time to pause and reflect. And I think mm -hmm. that's so true in anything that you're doing, you know, if everybody's, if everybody's buying GameStop, you know, maybe go look and say, why is everybody doing this? What are the intricacies of what's happening here? And do I then want to do the same thing? Is there another opportunity where with all this craze about GameStop, is there another opportunity that other people aren't seeing that I could potentially find or exploit? You know, this is true for, for investing. This is true for your career. This is true for business. Like anything that you want to do, if everybody is doing something, one, that only makes it harder for you to stand out. But then two, that typically means that there are openings that other people are missing simply because they're either too scared to go down that path or they're just, you know, happy to follow the herd. So if you can take that contrarian mindset and, and at least do your due diligence before, you know, jumping off the bridge with everybody else, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be finding a lot more opportunities and, and you're going to also find, you know, that the path can get a little bit easier. You know, the great thing about doing podcasting and these types of interviews is I get to meet people like yourself and, and it helps me, you know, I mean, now I know the listeners love listening in, but truthfully, it helps me. I do want to highlight an episode with Chris Reed. He was episode 236 and he's the only CEO with a pink mohawk. And it was him that really got me thinking about, you know, what is my uniqueness? And I challenged the listeners today to think about, you know, what is your pink mohawk? What is your uniqueness? Because it's that, that's the tool that's going to allow you to get out of the convention and, and stand out compared to just being another person out there. And I, I gave, you know, I decided that mine would be the worst podcast host. <laughs> 
And the thing about it is I get emails now. I get messages on LinkedIn and people say, why do you call yourself the worst? And I said, because you wrote me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you got to stand out in some way or another. So I think, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is just following convention. It's just not going to get it. So I think for the listeners out there, think about, you know, how you can break out of that convention and come up with a different angle. So I really appreciate that. I love it. Yeah. So now, based upon what you've learned, now you're, you're an interesting interview because you've developed solutions as a business to the specific problem that you face. Not everybody's done that. So now you may have a, a different answer than a typical person would have to this question, but based upon what you learned from this story, and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I think it's simple. And that action is go reach out to one person who is already doing what you want to do and then rinse and repeat that action every single day. So you're going to email 365 people, maybe, you know, take the weekends off, be nice, 240-ish people you're going to reach out to or whatever the number is. Of those 240, you know, maybe 10% will get back to you, but you're going to connect with 25 or 30 people who are doing what you want to do, right? And those people are going to be the best mentors and you don't need to have, you don't need to ask this person to be your mentor or anything. Just get, get on the phone with them and, you know, tell them, you know, Hey, your background's so impressive for these specific reasons. And I'd love to ask you a couple of questions. I'd love to learn more. And then, you know, I'll do it over the, over email, I'll do it over the phone, make it easy for them. But if you can get in the habit of emailing people, if you can understand the expectations that most of them won't reply, but also that the upside is you connect with some people who can really help you accelerate. That's really all that it takes. And the best part is, you know, if you start today, networking is, you know, best done over a long timeline. Right. And a lot of people come to me and they say, Austin, I need a job in 60 days, you know, what do I do? Is networking going to work? How do I build a relationship in 60 days? And, you know, there are some shortcuts and we can kind of make it happen, but you know, the longer time horizon you give yourself, the easier this will be. And so if you get in that habit and you understand, you know, if you write down those criteria for yourself, you know, I had my dream job criteria. What are your criteria? You know, if you're running a business or you want to run a business, what does life look like when that business is successful? If you want a job, what is what does life look like when you have that dream job? You know, if you want to be a, a you know a sub whatever it is three hour marathon runner, what does life look like when when you're a sub three hour marathon runner? And then go find people who meet those criteria and just talk to them about their experience and ask them questions. People love to share advice and they love to be looked up to as a teacher or a mentor, right? And so that's value in and of itself. And if you can find those people, your life is going to change. It truly will. I mean, that's how my life changed. I, I assume that you've reached out to plenty of people on, on your own, Andrew, and, and your life. I mean, this podcast is a testament to that. So yep. most people are just scared to send the email. They're scared to get the no. They're scared to not hear back. They take it personally the same way I took the job search, you know, rejections personally. And I totally understand that. But the reward is so worth the risk. And once you realize that the risk is really nothing at all, because sending an email and getting a no is the same situation as not sending the email uh, at the end of the day. So once you realize that and you get a little more comfortable with it, that's a life-changing move. That's great, great advice. And I think also LinkedIn's been providing more and more tools like audio and video. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so recently, if I see people that I want to reach out to, I may just do a quick audio or I may do a video. And you, if you do that and it's thoughtful, and, you know, something like I'm sitting here on my balcony in Bangkok, Thailand, 
I like what you do. You know, I, I read this post that you made and I love the, you know, focus on quality or whatever. I'd love to get you on the show. And I find that, I mean, how many times when you get an audio or a video clip in LinkedIn, it's not that often that you just say, oh, yeah. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to see, I'm not going to see. 0%, you always Never. push it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, try to break free of the convention. So, all right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? For me, it's, it's really finding a little more balance. You know, as we talked about the last five, six, seven years of, of my life have really been, you know, a, a massive push to get to the, the goals that I had for myself. And, you know, initially that's working at a place like Microsoft and then it becomes, you know, starting my own thing. And, and now we're here. And so I feel very lucky to, to have, you know, my business and, and it being at the level that it's at. Uh, and so something that I want to do is, is find some better balance around, you know, cause something I've also realized through this is that once you check those boxes, you know, that becomes your new norm. And all of a sudden, you know, the goalposts move and your expect expectations are reset. And so the happiness doesn't really come from, you know, an extra, however many dollars or getting that feature or, you know, whatever it is, it really comes from, from other stuff. And so for me, that's, that's been a big focus over the next 12 months is understanding, okay, now that I do have my own business, now that I only have one thing to focus on, one calendar to manage, how can I use some of this time to find some balance? I'd love to read more. I brew my own beer at home and make my own hot sauce. So I want to do a little bit more of that, you know, spending more time with my, my wife and our, our friends, especially, you know, that's something that the pandemic has, has really brought to the forefront. So I want to find a little more balance, I think, and get comfortable with, you know, the work that I'm putting in every day is enough. And I, you know, you don't have to work 24 hours a day to, to have, you know, something that, that makes you happy. So that, that's the big focus for me. I think easier said than done for sure, but uh, you know, taking it one day at a time. Well, we're looking forward to hearing about the more balanced Austin 12 months from now, and I'm sure we will. So listeners, there you have it. Before I end this, actually Austin has been a very humble guest. When I asked him what one piece of advice would you recommend he gave you his piece of advice, but I'm going to give you the piece of advice that really I think you should follow too, is that go to cultivatedculture.com because he's provided like solutions for this. And, you know, the headline right here, as I'm looking at the site says, sick of applying for jobs online, land a referral in 14 days with my free job referral toolkit. The point is he has developed a lot of great tools. So I highly recommend that you go there. Well, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listeners, to reduce risk in your life. So go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and download the risk reduction checklist list that I've made and see how you measure up. As we conclude, Austin, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I just really appreciate you having me, Andrew. This was an awesome, awesome episode. I really like to, to, I'm a big fan of sharing my failures as well as successes. And I do a lot of that on LinkedIn. So I'm just grateful for the time, but you mentioned, you know, a couple of things. If, if anybody wants to listen to the podcast, it's at cultivatedculture.com forward slash podcast. LinkedIn is where you can find me most days. I post pretty much every day and, and that's really where I get to engage with a lot of the audience. So feel free to, to follow along and connect with me there. But outside of that, definitely take the risk assessment as well that, that you called out because I think that's, that's super important for people to understand. And I really appreciate you having me. 
It's been great having you on. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.